Is retirement on your mind? Do you know where you'll want to live? There are so many choices around the world, and the clock is ticking. We're Mr. and Mrs. Rover, and we're on a journey to find our paradise. We'll be talking to retirees, real estate agents, and other professionals to help us get the inside scoop about their local area. So join us and find your paradise. Hello, and welcome to today's episode on Merida, Mexico. I'm really excited about this one because Merida is one of the most affordable large cities in Mexico to retire to, and there's a few things I really love about it. You know, one of the things that I know I love about some of the cities in Europe is the the history there, the architecture. The buildings are so old, and we don't get that a lot here in North America, but Merida was actually founded in 1542 by a Spanish conquistador, and so there's so much beauty in the architecture there. They're really well known for the colonial buildings, so not only is it beautiful to look at, but you can actually live in some of these colonial-style homes, which I'm really interested in. Yeah, that sounds really cool, and certainly something that we enjoy when we go over to Europe is seeing that architecture. Absolutely. The other really interesting thing is that Merida was actually voted the second most safe city in North America. Really? Yeah. Actually, Quebec City was number one, and what I find interesting is... That makes it the safest city in Latin America. It makes it the 21st city, safest city worldwide. And if you're looking at the highest rated U.S. city, that would be Salt Lake City at number 51. So Merida has a reputation of being extremely safe. And I'm really excited because today we're talking to Amy Jones, and she has a wonderful blog called Life in Merida. She's been there for about a year now. And she's a single woman, and I'm really curious to see her take on this. Well, excellent. That sounds great. Let's jump into it. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Hi, Evelyn and Jerry. Thank you so much for having me on. This is very exciting. It is very exciting. I know Merida is a very popular destination for expats around the world. It's a, you know, it's a great city to to end up in and spend your golden years. So I'd love to know a little bit more about you. Like where were you living before moving to Merida? What other places were you were you considering retiring to? Those types of things. Would you would you mind sharing that with us? Of course. So before moving to Merida, I was in Dallas, Texas for 28 years, and I decided to give myself a Christmas present in 2019 and move here on Christmas Day. So I've been here at this, at this point for um, one year. And for me, it wasn't a retirement decision. It was more a, I had one of those life-changing events um, uh, had an illness and decided that if I wasn't going to make my move quickly, I may never make a move. And so I decided to narrow down five locations in Mexico to move to. I, I love Mexico. I've lived here in the Riviera Maya before in 2006. And so I knew that eventually when the time was right, I would come back to Mexico because Mexico is really where my heart is. So the locations that I considered were Merida, San Luis Potosí, 
San Miguel de Allende, the Ajijic Lake Chapala area, and San Cristobal de las Casas. I narrowed it down to five locations in Mexico. So that's interesting. Did you have any sort of list for your most important criteria for the city that you select? I actually did. Um, my This is going to sound kind of strange, but my number one criteria was I did not want there to be like a huge expat population. I'm one of those people that I did not want to duplicate my American experience. So the ratio of expats to locals was probably my main consideration. Another strange one was I wanted to make sure I could get Amazon. Um, there are many things, you know. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, um, I don't want to duplicate my American experience, but I still want my American luxuries, right? Damn right. <laughs> Amazon delivery um, was a, a, a big consideration. I wanted um, the location to be, you know, relatively close to the U.S. I still have family in the U.S. And if there was a family emergency, I wanted it to be somewhere that I could either get to an airport, um, you know, relatively quickly. So about a four to five hour travel time to the U.S. with an eight hour max. I wanted it to be in the same time zone. And then I'm a big cultural kind of person. So I love music, art, food, museums, and things like that. So I wanted there to be like a big um, kind of focus on culture and um, more like a cosmopolitan city in a way, but not too large, if that makes sense. Right. No, that does make sense. And I've heard that Merida is a nice mix of that larger city feel with a, I guess you can, you can live in, you know, whatever area that you live in Merida, you can choose a different feel. That's absolutely correct. Yes, that's absolutely correct. So depending on so the, the layout of Merida, it's really cool. Like, like most cities i came from Dallas. So, you know, we had a big loop that kind of encompassed, you know, the, the major part of the city. And here it's the same way. So you have, you know, little communities um, within the loop called the Periferico. And each, each little community or colonia has its own little vibe. So if you're in Centro, which is where um, a lot of the expats live, you have a certain vibe. If you're in the north, which is where I live, um, there's a different vibe. So it's, you know, really, truly, there is something for everyone here. If you're a beach person, we're 25 minutes from Progreso, which is the main beach um, in the Yucatan, and lots of beach communities along the coast. So there really is something for everyone. That's exactly the word I was looking for, vibe that Merida is large enough to be able to find your, that vibe that speaks to you. So that's a really, that's really good to know. Um, so what I'm really curious about how you ultimately chose Merida, did you just fall in love with it? Like what, what, what made it rise to the top of the list? Sure. So it's, it's really interesting. I lived and worked in the Riviera Maya, which is in the state of Quintana Roo 
which is just to the east of uh, the Yucatan, the state of Yucatan. And when I lived in the Riviera Maya area, everyone always talked about Merida. And when they would talk about it, they would just have this like internal light and they would just start to glow and their faces would shine and they would get this big smile on their face when they talked about Merida. It was like Merida was just some magical place that everyone just loved. And so when I started to do my research, I was like, wow, this is very interesting. It's, it's, you know, a colonial city, very close to San Miguel Allende. I mean, the same kind of um, vibe and feel, um, lots of colors. And when I decided to make my list, Merida was first. And I arrived in Cancun uh, on my research trip. And decided to rent a car because I really wanted to kind of see the countryside and get a feel for the area because I'd only been in the Riviera Maya area before. I'd actually never been outside of, of that area. And so the car rental place, the girl said, where are you going? I said, Merida. And she, she got the same, I, I, it had the same effect. She just lit up like someone turned a switch on and she's like, oh my gosh, Merida, it's gorgeous. Have you ever been there? It's wonderful. And so I was like, wow, this is, it's the same, you know, feel that people had before. It hasn't changed. And so coming in, into the city, I started to recognize why people felt that way. Everyone was happy. They smiled. They're very helpful. Um, you know, it's got that Mayan, uh, it's got a large Mayan um, history, of course, and you look around town and you still have, you know, of course, visible signs of the Mayan culture and people speak Mayan here. And I just really focused on, you know, what feel, again, that vibe, the energy that I had walking around. And there was one location in Centro called Santa Lucia Park. And there are two really, really big trees and an obelisk. And I decided just to kind of stand in the middle of the park and kind of get the feel for the area. And literally, it felt like my feet were growing roots. They just, they just kind of like sunk into the ground. And I felt this, this huge positive energy and love and joy and happiness. And it was like my heart opened. And I thought, this is my place. I don't even have to go anywhere else because I felt like this was home, even though I, this was my first time I'd ever been here. It's just like, it was this automatic connection and it was really just magical. So that's, that's my story. <laughs> that's amazing. I, and Evelyn and I have talked about that, um, that, you know, we expect that someday when we find that place, yeah. That, that's the feeling that we hope to have as well. Right. That's what we're looking for is to hit a city and say, yeah, I think this is it. We're home. Now, you know, with respect to the different vibes in Merida, I don't know if it's easy to articulate what the different vibes are, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking through some of the cities we've lived in and sometimes, you know, certain areas going to be more of a younger kind of party vibe and another might be, uh, a different vibe. I, I'd be curious 
your thoughts on kind of the different vibes of Merida. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great uh, question, especially because I, I think when people think about Mexico, they think about party scene um, or they think about retirement. So it's this really, um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's, it's like the extremes. So you've got a party, this like spring vac- vacation party, you know, scene, or you've got, you know, this really slow paced retirement, you know, nobody's working and they're sitting around drinking coffee and then cocktail hour and whatever. So if you, if you get all of your preconceived ideas, you know, out and just start with a blank slate, if when you arrive at the airport, um, that that's in a kind of a more industrial local area. And the airport is, is not right in the middle of town, but it's not, it's not like um, other cities where you have to drive out, you know, quite, quite a ways to get to the airport. The airport is pretty much in, in, in the city. And so, you know, you start from the airport. It's got this more industrial, local feel. You you come into Centro. There's a huge amount of expats and vacationers and um, snowbirds that come to the area. And one of the reasons that they come and stay in Centro is because it's very walkable in Centro. So you're going to have the vibe. You're going to have... The, the complete range of vibe from families that come, local families that come from Mexico City and they come to Merida to experience the restaurants and the culture. You're going to have the vibe of young people walking around because there's lots of hostels in the area. Um, backpackers, you're going to have the vibe of the snowbirds, which is completely different. Um, so it's a really amazing blend of all these different vibes depending on you know what block you're in what restaurant you're in and there's there's not one to me localized area where people collect where you're going to get like this cool um you know cultural vibe or a vacation vibe or a beach vibe, they all kind of blend together and make just this really, I don't know, the word symphony comes to mind, this symphony of just energy that, again, you know, there is truly something for everyone. That sounds awesome. You know, I know a lot of our listeners are going to be wondering, um, Merida sounds so amazing, but maybe they don't speak Spanish. So I'm curious, how important is it that you speak Spanish when you're living in Merida? <laughs> it's pretty important, actually. Um, and and it, again, it's also going to depend on what area you're in. So if you think about the touristy areas, the touristy areas are very focused on foreigners and, and English seems to be the main language. When you get into places like Merida, depending on where you are in the city, um, you, you may not have anyone that speaks English. 
So my my recommendation is is that you have a working cell phone. You've got Google Translate, and if you have a language barrier, get on Google Translate. And the one wonderful wonderful thing about this culture is they're extremely patient. They want to help, and you know a smile is worth a thousand words. So if you can't speak the language, even if you don't have a working knowledge of the language, as long as you're friendly and you have a smile and you make an attempt or you have Google Translate, people are going to help you and they will be very happy to do that. That's really great. And I think it is important to, when you relocate to another country outside of your own country, to respect that culture and, and, you know, give it a good old college try to, to do whatever you can. I know a lot of, a lot of, um, folks who, who move abroad to countries such as Mexico, you know, they welcome learning that other language. It's, I've, I've actually read a lot about language and, and, you know, as you're, as you start aging, it's one of the best things you can do to stave off things like Alzheimer's and dementia is learning another language is great. So, what what better way to do that than to move to a country like Mexico and, and really immerse yourself in it and really be able to learn that language and immerse yourself in the culture, which brings me, um, you had mentioned the culture that everyone is a lot of, you know, a lot of the folks are friendly, they, they're willing to help. And, you know, the culture is another reason why you chose Merida. So what, what kind of differences have you seen? So you're an American expat in Merida. What what are the you know the the pluses and are there any any difficulties that you've seen seen other expats deal with in in immersing themselves in that new culture? So the the interesting thing when when I arrived, I was very intent, and and I'm just going to make a, a not necessarily an apology, but just. Just please be patient with my answer and because I will get to the point. So I, I made a conscientious decision when I arrived that I did not want to be a part of any expat community. I have seen over the years where people, and, and I did not know anyone when I arrived. I didn't come with family. I had, there was no, I didn't have family here. I didn't have any friends. I literally knew no one when I arrived. And so I have seen that expats, they are very uncomfortable when they arrive into a new country. And so the first thing they do is they want to find their community, their tribe, and be able to, you know, compare stories, ask advice, get information, et cetera. I did not want to do that. Again, I did not want to duplicate my American experience. I wanted to have my own experience and I wanted to start a brand new blank slate life. And so I, on purpose, stayed away from the expat communities so that I could make my own, uh, have my own experience of this new life. And so there, everyone has their own level of comfort. And I think people find comfort in joining together with people that are like-minded or have similar stories or similar backgrounds. That's their comfort level. And that's great. But I think it also tends to dilute the experience of the, 
the country or the city of, of your choice. And it also dilutes the experience of the language because if you're in a, a group of people that speak your native tongue, you're going to be a lot less likely to learn the, the language of, of your chosen country or city. So for me, the, the positive was, the positive hard thing was, you know, making that conscious deci- conscientious decision to have my own experience. And this is not a country or a city of convenience. So when Americans come here or Canadians or Europeans come here and they have the expectation that they're going to receive the same level of service or that you're going to have things that make sense or you're going to have, um, you know, conveniences like you have, like I had my washer and dryer delivered the other day and it's delivered by the company I ordered it from. Then I have to call another company to get the connections for the washer and dryer. And then I have to call another company to actually come install it. So, you know, taking, taking some of those things at, at face value instead of listening to other people's experience, whether they, um, they complain about it or they're comparing it to where they've been from or where they've come from, excuse me. You know, those are, those are some of the kind of, I guess that's kind of an odd positive to me that I made that conscientious, conscientious decision to stay out of that um, community. And then the, the negative has been, um, you know, thing, things are not the same. It's like you're learning a, a brand new way of everything because nothing is the same. Absolutely nothing is the same. Well, it sounds like mindset plays a lot in how happy and, and, you know, how satisfied you'll be with your experience. If your mindset is, to your point, I want everything the way it was, then you're probably setting yourself, yourself up for uh, failure in your, new, in your new country. Absolutely. I 1,000% agree with you. And I read an article uh, the other day by a guy written by a guy, I think he had been in Mexico around 17 years, maybe by this time it's, it's 18 or 19 years. But he did a very interesting uh, article and observation on expats, typically within four years, I think the percentage was 60%, typically within four years they return to their home country. Because, because again, like you said, Evelyn, the mindset if you don't come with an open mindset, you get very frustrated, you get stressed, there's a lot of anxiety. And so if, if you don't have that ability to be flexible um, and to be open to a new, a new way of living, you do get frustrated. And it, it is all about mindset for sure. So Amy, I, I think this has been really fascinating, the culture which kind of leads into the next topic, which is around social life. So you wanted to have a different cultural experience. Fast forward a year to now, you know, do you feel like you've been accepted by the locals? Do you hang out, you know, mostly with locals? And would love to hear a little bit about how, you know, what your social life is like now. 
Well, this is a really interesting, it's a great question. Thank you. Um, it, interestingly, I am a forced extrovert. I'm naturally very shy. I'm an introvert. And so I've learned to be an extrovert for, for the last 30 years. I've, it's, it's a forced, um, I guess, personality for me. And so for me, acceptance, I, I don't really care. I could be alone here and not even have any friends and have a great experience. I do think that experiences are enhanced when shared with others. And I have a great, very small um, local tribe. I've got um, a couple of expat friends, but I hang out with mostly locals. So my boyfriend is from um, Tabasco, which is another state, but he's lived in Merida for almost 27 years. So he's, um, he's very local, of course. Um, the people that I've met here um, are small business owners that are locals. Um, and so I would say the majority of my tribe, 99% of my tribe are locals um, with very few expats because that, that's really the community I wanted to build for myself in the right time. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. You know, you're, it sounds like you were able to, to, really design the experience that you wanted. And, and Merida offers that option for folks. If they really do want to just stay within their expat community, they can. On the other hand, if they want to have the same type of experience that you have, that's available as well. And that's, that's really interesting, which makes me think of, you know, you're a woman, I'm a woman. Safety is often a top consideration for us when we travel or where we're choosing someplace to live. Is Merida... A safe place for you? Do you feel safe there? Do you do you go out on your own and and you know without worry? Like how is that? How is that going? Absolutely. I I've traveled all over the world by myself, and I've lived alone for many years. And so, as a woman, I would say I'm 100% safe. That doesn't mean that I'm naive and um, I'm not aware of my surroundings at all times because I think that that's also incredibly important. Like any other large city, whether you're in Mexico, you're in the U.S., you're in Europe, wherever you are, there are uh, shady parts of town or you know not so great parts of town that foreigners um, or non-locals should not you know stray into because. I think, I think what a lot of people don't understand about Mexico is, is that you've got the, the violence of the cartels, then you've got crimes of opportunity, which crimes of opportunity here are probably 90% of the crimes. So if you're not aware of your surroundings, if you're in a you know, questionable part of town, if you're out walking late at night, you're setting yourself up for a crime of opportunity. But if you're cautious, if you're aware of your surroundings, if you know where you are, um, you know, if you are out late at night, make sure, you know, you're, you're walking with someone, you know, I've never felt safer than, than I feel here. Even when I lived in Dallas for many years, um, I feel much safer here than I did when I was in Dallas. Yeah. You know, as you were talking about that, I thought, 
Well, that's every precaution I take here. And we're in Austin, Texas. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't be downtown walking by myself at midnight. So same, you know, same thing in Merida, really. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Amy, you had mentioned coming from Dallas, we're in Texas as well. I'm curious, compare the weather. Is it more humid? Does it rain more? I'd love to hear more about the weather in Merida. Of course. So interestingly, the weather here can be very similar to Dallas and Austin and Houston. So we have the heat, of course. It's very humid. There's a rainy season, which is also hurricane season, that runs kind of May through kind of October. And then there's not a lot of seasonal change. So, of course, it's a, you know, we're in the, the tr- a tropical um, city. So you do have a lot of the humidity, but the difference is the air conditioning. So I knew when I moved to Merida, the, the temperature, other than the rainy hurricane season, the, the temperature and the humidity was going to be kind of the same between Dallas, Austin, and Houston, very similar. The difference is, is we are used to going into a fully air-conditioned house. We take a, a few steps to our car, which is air-conditioned. We park. We take a few steps and go into a restaurant or a, a mall or a shop or something. So I would say, you know, 90% of, of your temperature is, is climate controlled by air conditioning. That's the big difference here. So you do have this little bit of, of weather difference, but the, the biggest change is the air conditioning part. And I assume you mean it's not as air-conditioned. Air <laughs> That's correct. Okay. I just want to make sure all of our yeah. listeners realize uh, because yes, that's correct. It, it is one of the things I remember when we moved to Texas, thinking every time I went in a restaurant, how cold the restaurant was. And so it sounds like restaurants, maybe shopping centers, they're not, are, are they air conditioned at all or they're just open? They tend to be non-air conditioned. So there, there is no central air system here. Um, every, every room, every shopping center rush, not every, but you know, some have a, a mini split or a room air conditioner, not a window unit, but it's a, it's an actual, you know, it's got a little, um, remote control and you turn it on when you're in the room. So it cools off very quickly. But the interesting thing is people say electricity is very expensive here. I have not found that. I think they've got this mentality of, you know, everything's cheap in Mexico. And then when there's something that's kind of similar to a U.S. price, like electricity, they think, oh, it's expensive. But many restaurants that are small and local do not have air conditioning. So they get a great cross breeze. Again, we're very close to the coast. So there's this great north-south cross breeze. So you go into a small restaurant, you sit by a window, you've got a little breeze, it's great. Um, You go into a larger restaurant, if they're trying to save money or, um, you know, there's not a cross breeze, it can get really stuffy. So if you 
look once you enter a, a location, whether it's an Airbnb or a restaurant or whatever, just look around and see if they've got the little um, units. They're very recognizable so that you stay comfortable. The, the malls and the big shopping centers um, do have air conditioning. Some are um, open air, but the, the majority of them are climate controlled. Um, in, in some way, shape, or form. So it's not like you're inside a you know, shopping center and you're sweating. Well, that's good to know. That is really good to know. And this, this talk of hot, humid weather, weather brings me to a thought about critters. I, I grew up in California, so we didn't have a lot of the bugs that we have here in Texas around the home. And so just curious... Uh, you know, you've been in Merida for a little over a year or just about a year now. How's that situation? Are, are there, are you constantly fighting bugs in the house? What types of things have you seen that might be different from, from here in Texas? I'd love to know, cause that is one of my things. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a great question. Oh, ants. Can I say ants, 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 ants? Oh gosh. Oh my goodness. The, the biting kind? Are, some bite, some don't. There's, I don't know. Literally, there's probably like a hundred different kinds of species of ants here. Um, and, oh my goodness, it's, it's at, you're fighting a losing battle. Um, every, every single place I've lived in, with the exception of my new townhouse now, every single place I've lived in has, has been almost overrun by ants. You, you can, it's, it's extremely difficult to get rid of them. And what I found is, is that really the only way to keep them at bay is to have your house um, fumigated, like the exterior fumigated, like every three months. Otherwise, there are ants everywhere. They're in the bathroom, they're in your computer, they're in the kitchen, they're in your living room, they're everywhere. Wow. Okay. I have not heard that. So that is really good to know. You have to be one with the ants if you want to live in Merida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you open your sugar one day and there's ants in there. It's like, ah, you know, it's a little protein. It's not a big deal. <laughs> hey, at least they're not the, uh, you know, cause we get those centipedes, those really big centipedes here in, in Austin. So that ants sound doable. I don't know though. Yeah. I, I I think I have a good idea who's gonna be waking up in the middle of the night screaming from some sort of nightmare about ants. <laughs> so thanks, Amy. Now, now, now I'm Absolutely. gonna have to. <laughs> so you. We, oh goodness. We were talking about shopping malls a little bit, and that really brings up a great question that I know a lot of our listeners are asking: is they go down and they say, "Okay, I found Merida. That's the place I I want to live," and they come back. And they, they're sitting there going through all their stuff. And they're like, well, what exactly, you know, what's available to buy? Um, what do I need to ship? You know, it, you know, you already mentioned Amazon, which is awesome. But they kind of go through this um, process of trying to figure out what should I bring down? Is all my, are all my normal things available in Merida? Would love to get your thoughts on that. Of course. So I highly, highly recommend doing at least one, if not multiple research trips. And I would tell people make a list of things that you really like 
of things that are special to you or important, maybe things that you would be very hard pressed to part with. And that can be a full range of items from furniture to blankets to kitchen appliances. I mean, whatever, whatever your listeners have in mind, we all have those special things that we're attached to. So on your research trip, have that list of things when you come and then go out and see if you can replace, duplicate, or find that item or similar item and see what the price is, compare the quality, is it the same, is it, you know, similar, whatever, and then go back home and make a, an itemized financial plan that says, okay, I can buy this in Mexico or, or Merida for this, this price, but if I take it in a suitcase, you know, it's going to be this. If it's too big for a suitcase, what is shipping going to cost? Um, shipping, especially furniture, can be cost prohibitive. Um, there are people that will ship containers of, of items, and sometimes they get hung up in customs. You've got to have a really, really, really good um, freight forwarder that will handle all the paperwork for you to, to ensure that it does not get caught up in customs. Follow the rules. Don't ship anything questionable. And for me, on my research trip, things, things were really important to me were sheets and towels, blankets, some kitchen appliances that were important to me. I love the Breville brand, and I had a toaster and a risotto maker and just interesting things like that. And so when I was on my research trip, I could not find good quality sheets and towels. I could get my Breville toaster through Amazon, but it was gonna cost too much. So what I did was made a plan to bring items that would only fit in my suitcase and would make multiple trips. So I would highly recommend if you don't have a friend that you can leave some items with, maybe even renting like a very small um, storage unit so that you can make multiple trips of things that will fit in your suitcase. And that's what I did. And it worked out great for me. That is a great idea. So um, let me ask in terms of your daily living, you know, do you need a Mexican bank account? How do you pay for things? You had mentioned before that electricity was maybe not as inexpensive as a lot of people think, but I'd love to know a little bit more about um, your daily living and the costs, because obviously not everyone, you know, is a millionaire and, you know, people are a little bit concerned about um, the overall cost of living. Sure. So do you, so let's start with the, the bank account. Do you need a Mexican bank account? Absolutely not. Um, you can use your credit or debit card here. Um, keep in mind that this is a very heavy cash-based society. So if you're shopping at a local store or, uh, you know, an, an artisan or, or craft location, typically they're going to take cash and won't take a card. Um, I find it very convenient to have a Mexican bank account because I've, I traded 
I transfer dollars when the peso is high. So I actually make money by transferring American dollars into my Mexican bank account. So I kind of look at that as an investment. Um, there are two banks here that will set up uh, an account for Americans on a tourist visa. That's the only two that I found. It's either Inversa or Intercam, and they're super American friendly. They have almost all their staff speak English and they're very helpful. So just keep that in mind. You don't need a Mexican bank account. It's helpful, but this is a heavy cash-based society where pesos, where cash is king, just like anywhere else. Um, daily life. It's, it's very interesting because things, um, to me, things are very inexpensive here. Um, would you like for me to, like to just kind of highlight some of my costs? Sure, whether it's, you know, getting your hair cut or you know, going grocery okay. shopping, yeah, yeah, definitely. That'd yeah. Be, that'd be fun to know. Okay. So I'll kind of just give you like what, what everybody would typically think is your monthly amount and then give you some other kind of interesting numbers. So the rent, and this is for two people. So my rent, I live in a two-story a two townhouse. It's three bedrooms, three and a half baths. I use uh, my boyfriend and I opened a catering company, so we use um, a lot of the downstairs for our catering business. So it may sound really large, but we use almost half half the space for our catering business. So we do events here, our offices here, and we pay $900 a month in rent. It's about 2,100 square feet, and we've got a parking area that's fully gated, uh, gated and our own little swimming pool. So we've got a couple of amenities, which is parking in a pool that is kind of a high high ticket item. So $900 for rent. Food is $400 a month. Uh, we pay $30 a month in pool service. Water runs about $10 a month. Electricity, the range right now is about $50 to $100 a month. Um, Uber, because we don't have a car, um, we spend about 125 ish on Uber. Um, so right, right about $1,500 for two people. Um, that includes, you know, uh, just your basics. And then haircut and color, I color my hair red and it's $45 with tip. Uh, I love luxury, so I get a manicure and pedicure. It's $25 with tip. Um, pest control runs about $35 every three months. And um, medical, I've had um, the opportunity, I would say, to have some medical um, appointments here. And I've been really, really pleased with the level of service. Um, very state high uh, quality service, state of the art equipment, and attention to the client is priority here. I've never had to wait for a, a doctor when I arrive at the appointment, and I've never felt rushed if I have questions. So that's been a really amazing, um, pleasant surprise. Um, I've had a colonoscopy, and, and I don't have insurance either, um, but I do know that um, there's a brand new hospital here called Faro that is 
focused on international uh, expat um, clients. So they speak English, they take insurance, um, and they just do a wonderful, wonderful job. So there I've had a colonoscopy. It was $275. A mammogram, yeah, mammogram with, with imaging was $60. Um, a doctor visit runs $25 to $40. Um, so that's, I think, the healthcare for here, um, for me, it's been extremely affordable. And again, I don't have insurance, so all that was just paid out of pocket. Right. You know, I think, I think especially us in America, think that we have the best healthcare in the world. And it's really great to hear as we talk to folks from you know, living in different areas of the world that, you know what, you can get really great health care in other places, but not pay, pay the high price tag that we pay here. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And I did a tour of the hospital because I really believe in doing due diligence, um, especially before you come to make sure you have all, and, and of course you're not going to have, you're not going to know all the questions until you get here, but to have the majority of your questions answered, you know, the medical um, questions were, were high on the priority list for me. And I did a tour of the hospital. And if you need a private room in the hospital for any kind of procedure, it's 200 us dollars a night that includes everything well that's the price of an of a hotel in many places same you exactly. know, same so thing I was, yes i was shocked at that and and pleasantly surprised it was wonderful wow wow and you know and i think that is a reason why some folks are afraid to make a move outside of of the u.s is the healthcare situation and so again Really great to hear. And Evelyn, I, I keep going back to your comment about mindset. It's so true because I, I didn't for many years have insurance in the U.S. because the insurance I did have didn't cover what I needed for health. I, I do a lot of Eastern you know, medicine, holistic, a lot of acupuncture, and, and so my insurance didn't cover any of those types of services, lots of massage. But here, you know, if you get out of that, again, that American mindset and think, ah, oh, let's see what, let's see what's on this side of the fence. It just opens your mind to a completely different world that really, to me here, not waiting for the doctor at an appointment, not feeling rushed, you know, when I'm with the doctor, with them taking special care, with the follow-up, with everything, the complete 360-degree treatment I've received, I would say this far supersedes the, the medical um, in, in the U.S., definitely. Wow. Well, you know what? That might put a lot of minds at ease for those who might be looking to, to move abroad to, to Merida. Um, and so let me ask you this for, for anyone out there, U S citizen specific, because you're a U S citizen who is looking to move to Merida. 
what kind of residency requirements are there? What kind of, is there a, a retirement visa that, that someone can get? How, how do you get to live in Merida? Of course. So the, the majority of, so this is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, 60% of expats here are here illegally. <laughs> so oh, wow. We, <laughs> really? The irony. The irony, yes. I know, it's, it's so ironic, isn't it? And, you know, we think about, oh, you know, everybody's in our country illegally and blah, blah, blah. Well, 60% of expats here are here illegally because they, they come and they live on tourist visas. So you can be here unlimited on a tourist visa, and a tourist visa is uh, good for six months. You just have to uh, exit and enter the country um, and, and get your visa stamped. So the old rule used to be you had to leave the country and uh, reenter after 24 hours. Um, I, I recently tried um, this. And back in August, because of the situation, um, I actually entered and exited on the same day. So it did work. I'm not, I, and I won't say that it will work for people, but it worked for me. Um, so you can enter and exit um, every six months. That's a tourist visa. You can also apply for temporary residency. And that is good for the first time it's good for one year, you can renew that for up to four years. And then after four years, you're able to apply for permanent residency. Depending on your status, whether you're retired, you're receiving social security, you're still working, they have different financial um, uh, levels that you have to meet. So for someone like me, I have to show a, a minimum of, I think now it's $1,650 deposit into my bank account for a period of a minimum of six months. For someone that's retired, I think that that's a different, uh, it's a different number. I think it's a little bit lower. So it depends on your age. If you're receiving Social Security or you're still of working age, you have to show proof to the Mexican government that you're self-sufficient. That makes sense. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. So, Amy, as, as we start to wrap up today's podcast, I'd love to ask you, you know, as you look back over your last year, what are the your favorite things about living in Merida? enough my answer is this this is like of course I wasn't alive in the 1950s but it's really like living in the 1950s um technology is is not prevalent hardly anyone uses email people call each other what great (laughs) communication yes it's amazing um so all you know it's really like kind of going back in time and, and I feel like that movie, Back to the Future, it's like I've seen all the cool stuff, you know, in the U.S. And then I've gotten here and, you know, we're still in the, you know, pre, you know, we're still in kind of like the TV area uh, with three channels. You know, we've got 11, 13, and 28 or whatever it is. And so it's this really cool 
um, almost, you know, back in time era of people call each other and they spend time in the park and they take a lot of time over meals and they connect. And I think really that's, that's my favorite part of being here is just, it's a slower pace of life. that's extremely community and family oriented. That's just, it's, it's great. That sounds so good. It would probably make me overcome the ant issue. I think I could live with the ants. <laughs> yes, the, the pros and cons, right? Exactly, exactly. So, Amy, um, again, thank you so much for your time today. But I'm sure our listeners are going to want to learn a little bit more about your journey. Um, where can they go? Do you have a website? I do. I would say please find me at lifeinmerida.com. And it's L-I-F-E-I-N. M-E-R-I-D-A dot com. I also have a Facebook page with the same Life in Merida and a Facebook private group where people can talk to other expats and locals. And it's the same name, Life in Merida. Great. And we'll also have links to those sites on our website, retirementrovers.com. So if you need to find those links, you can find them there on the uh, podcast page. So thank you so much. I've learned so much new, so much more new things about Merida. It's, it's all the little details that like when you watch a show like House Hunters International, you really don't get the, the real everyday life, like what it, you know, what it's like to live there. So they've never talked about the ants. <laughs> And the, and, the, and the ants are one of the biggest problems here. <laughs> Obviously, that's something that's stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah. That was such a great conversation with Amy. I really enjoyed it. I did as well. You know, the one thing that is on my mind... Bugs. Yes, I hate bugs. I hate them with a passion. I hate them here in Texas and... I had to ask, though, about the bugs in Merida, and so she talked about ants, and I had that little voice inside my head screaming as she was telling me about the ants, but then I did a little research, and I found Amy's blog actually popped up, ironically enough, about how to handle the ants in Merida. She has a secret weapon. She does. She does, and she talks about it on her blog, so Definitely go find Amy's blog and check it out. I think it's an easy and cheap solution that'll help you keep bugs at bay, especially those ants in Merida. That would be awesome. Well, and the other thing I really liked was the idea that she was talking about how Merida was like stepping back in time. Yeah, that's interesting. The, the time when there's only three TV channels. I know. We all like, I think all Gen Xers, you know, that's one of the things we'll talk about when we're talking to younger people is we had three TV channels and we had to get up as kids and change the dial. You know, our parents didn't have remote controls, that kind of thing. And it just took me back to a simpler time. And that's, I think, what many people are looking for in retirement is that simpler time where you're not completely focused on the iPhones and the MacBooks yeah. and the chats. Yeah. I'm kind of technologied out. I don't think that's a word but I said it. 
if it was a word, you just defined it. Or if it wasn't a word, I should say. <laughs> yes, I did. So I am totally technologyed out, people. The, the other thing that I thought was really informative was about the healthcare because we really do focus a lot as you age, you start looking at the healthcare, and it's scary to go from what you're familiar with here in the U.S. to a new healthcare system. It is, but let's talk about this because I think the idea of not having insurance scares a lot of people. And when she said she doesn't have insurance, but talked about the cost of like her mammogram or her colonoscopy, it all seemed very manageable. Like here in the U.S., if you don't have insurance and you have out-of-pocket costs for things, you know, it could put you into bankruptcy. Definitely. I mean, some of the costs that she was mentioning, um, those costs are... We spend more just on our co-pays. Yeah, exactly. I know. And so really what I'm hoping to be able to do is retire early. I don't want to wait till I'm 65, but gosh darn it, you know, if you quit your job, you lose your health care insurance and then you have to buy it. And then it's really expensive the older you get, let alone if you have some kind of disease and may not even be able to get it at all. That's a good point. Well, it was really nice to hear that from Amy in terms of what their system is like and the overall quality of care as well. Yeah, actually the ants scare me more than the healthcare now. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. I think we're making progress. <laughs> Truly. So the other thing that I was really excited about was when she really broke down that cost of living. You know, you read a lot about um, how much it costs to live here or there and somebody will say, oh, you can rent something for five, $600 a month, but it's really not maybe to our standards. Right. So it was really comforting to hear her talk about her really nice townhouse that she has for $900 a month, 2,000 square feet, which is more than we would need as a couple. Right. I mean, we would probably just need two bedrooms, one for us, and then one for our son when he comes down with... uh, you know, his college buddies, or he just comes and visits. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. So we're Mr. and Mrs. Rover. Thanks so much for tuning in today and hearing about Merida. We really hope today's episode and all of the information helps you find your paradise. 